This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located at 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. Mr. Seneca. The music you're listening to is from the Adams Family Super Nintendo video game, as there was no Adams Family game out in 1964. (laughs) (laughs) The Adams Family Meets the Undercover Man. Originally aired (laughs) January 8th, 1965. The feds get interested in the Adams Family due to Pugsley's ham radio, powered by Uncle Fester, sending out mysterious coded messages worldwide. Agent Hollister enlists the aid of a few private citizens to suss out the Adams domain without raising their suspicions, but it doesn't work. The Adamses become aware that something's not right and call in the feds. Now, this is actually the first episode where they get suspicious of anyone. Yeah, this is uh, very different from them. This and the next one. I never actually see them portray any kind of emotion. Portray, not portray, portray any kind of emotions. But this one and the next one, they really do. They're growing as characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we do the focus area now? Yeah, sure. All right. Today's focus area is on Grandmama. The actress that plays Grandmama, Blossom Rock, died in 1978 at 82 years old. A previous stroke kept her from the reunion special in 1977, which is why they had a different woman cast. Charles Adams imagined Grandma to be Gomez's mother. Filmway's blurb that Charles Adams wrote stated, Granny Frump, a.k.a. Grandma Frump. This disrespectful old hag is the mother of Gomez, husband of Morticia. She willingly helps with the dishes, cheats at solitaire, and is thoroughly dishonest. She, too, is a favorite with the children and will make them cookies in the shape of bath, skulls, and bones. Good-humored about all and can be garrulous. The complexion is dark, the hair is white and frizzy and uncombed. She has a light beard and a large mole. She wears a shawl on all occasions, thick socks and fleece slippers under a bombazine skirt. Filmways did deviate from the original Charles Adams character design by switching up her complexion, Uh, She does not have the mole, but they kept the frizzy hair and the shawl. Over time, the grandmama character has changed relationships and has done so pretty often, actually, to the point where 
Uh, in the Adams Family musical, they actually bring up that fact by saying, I thought she was your mother. In the television show, it is stated that Grandmama is Gomez's mother, although the title, Granny Frump, is actually Morticia's mother, Hester Frump. And uh, I don't know why they changed the name of the characters. Hester Frump is Morticia's mother. Grandmama and Hester were actually, you know, old school chums. I do believe that the families of the Frumps and the Adamses have intertwined in the past. There seems to be a lot of familiarity between the families throughout the series. Now, I can't talk about Grandmama, a.k.a. Granny Frump, without talking about Charles Adams's real grandmother, Grandma Spear, Emma Louise Tufts Spear, because that's who she's entirely based upon. He said that Granny Frump, quote, could have been my Grandma Spear in the early morning, just before breakfast, unquote. She lived with Charles Adams' family two years before he was born, when she was 66 years old, so she was 68 at his birth. So she was always a shuffling hag of a sweet woman who just escaped her husband's embezzlement shenanigans. Uh, he was not charged, by the way. Howard Spear, her husband. As a boy, he loved to slide down the laundry chute while Grandma Spear was baking and jump out to scare her. She died in 1928 when Charles was 16. So on February 8, 1941, he immortalizes her in a cartoon where Morticia, barefoot, asks her for a cup of cyanide. Before they were family members, they were neighbors. He used the overall archetype of Grandma Spear for a number of witches and hags in his cartoons. But he didn't add the elderly lady to the family until... September 30th, 1944, when she's watching home movies with the family. Later, cartoons have her dining on a two-headed pig with them, December 27th, 1947, and baking cookies with the kids, January 24th, 1948. One of the source books for this, uh, The Adams Family and Evolution, says that Grandma wasn't added to the family until the cover of Monster Rally, which is in 1950. Being that I found cartoons that are from 1944. Uh, that was kind of a falsity. There are a lot of inconsistencies between the source materials because there's a lot going on with this character and the changing of relationships and, and what people believe the relationships to be. The writing on the show did not lend itself to the belief that Grandmama is Gomez's mother most of the time. There's a lot of dialogue that basically counteracts that, such as, Grandmama does not have money, and if she were Gomez's mother, she would be rich. I personally believe this to be a product of just needing a grandmother character, with no regard to writing or continuity. Blossom Rock did make a great one, though. Lots of conflicting information. Tried to sort it out. I think that Blossom Rock made a great grandmama. I'm kind of interested to see how it'll change into this new movie, but, uh, you know, in a nutshell, that's that's my information for Grandma today. Arthur Lupin, who directed this episode, do you know what 1940s uh, remake he directed? What? Phantom of the Opera. Oh, interesting. Yeah. His directing credits go, like, uninterrupted from 1934 all the way to about 1957, where he directed a ton of movies until he started getting into television, which in, the 19, in 1957 is television pretty, went pretty much exploding because uh, television came out what, like 1953 or something, right? I don't know the exact date. I remember it was in Back to the Future. They go back to 1955 and he's just like, uh, you know, they say it's a brand new TV set. 
Yeah. <laughs> a movie he directed that I want to see, The Spider-Woman Strikes Back. Probably nothing to do with um, uh, any of the uh, characters in the Marvel comics who have been Spider-Woman or The Empire Striking Back, but it did star Rondo Hatton, which uh, is how we got the the, uh, the, Rondo, the Rondo Awards for the horror industry. The Rondo Awards is the highest prestige of an of award you can win in the in the in the horror industry. Uh, it's based off an actor named Rondo Hatton who appeared in many movies, and he had suffered horrible um, physical ailments due to uh, mustard gas exposure, oh. and it gave him like this brutish-looking features. You know, this this. I mean, he looked like a, a real-life Dick Tracy villain. Wow. And they modeled the award after him as well with his signature, like, chin jutting out. You think Bruce Campbell's got a chin. you got to look up what Rondo Hatton looked like. Um, and his most famous role is The Brute Man, where he's basically this serial killer going around strangling people in a Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie. Wow, okay. So the director of this episode directed uh, a lot of stuff, including, again, the 1943 remake of Phantom of the Opera, which was the first time Phantom of the Opera had been brought to life in uh, in uh, set with sound because the original with uh, Lon Chaney was in is a silent movie. Mm-hmm. I love that movie too. Mm. And then we have in the episode as Mr. Hollister, Mr. Briggs, and Mr. Conkey, who's the plumber, the mailman, and the FBI agent George Niece. Niece. George Niece. Yeah, he's the FBI agent, Mr. Hollister. Best known for playing uh, Captain Felipe Arroyo in. Disney Zorro. Huh. He played yeah. uh, several actors in uh, uh, Disney productions, in The Magical World of Disney, which was a uh, Sunday night kind of mini-movie stuff that Disney would do. Yeah, I remembered him, or at least I recognized his face from the Red Skeleton Hour. Oh. I used to watch that with my grandparents. <laughs> Rolf Sedan uh, was the train conductor in Young Frankenstein. Yes! He's got such a... a I don't know, like a friendly face. Like, he, he's an old man that wouldn't harm you, you know, wouldn't harm a fly. No, but uh, he's been in other episodes of The Addams Family we've talked about before, and he'll be yeah. in one more episode, Fester Goes on a Diet. Um, he was in a TV movie called How I Spent My Summer Vacation, which I think is a reference, I think a lot of, sorry, I think a lot of TV shows, movies, cartoons reference that movie as a uh, inspiration for, like, a How We Spent Our Summer Vacation with hijinks that ensue. Norman Leavitt, 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 I think it's called, uh, was on the television series The Wild Wild West, if you remember that show. I like that one. Yeah, I loved, always love it when they cut between the uh, segments, you know, for the commercial breaks. It turned into a, like, as a kid, I always, I always got into it because it turned into a, like a little, you know, couple second cartoon, and then they <laughs> would freeze frame it, and then they would freeze come back frame. on it. Yep, yep. Yep. Uh, you know, no justice in, done in that Will Smith movie. <laughs> he was in uh, Mayberry RFD, uh, Kung Fu. Um, let's see. He was also in Bonanza quite a while as the uh, telegrapher. Uh, yeah, but his last film credit or his last TV credit uh, of any sort is uh, from 1978, Quincy M.E. TV series. So the Adams family is talking on a ham radio, and they're contacting the airport, and that's when the under, that's when the um, the, uh, the FBI agent, uh, you know, they're, they're monitoring these ham radios, which I didn't know if they could do that back then, but maybe they can, because he sends the uh, they the the government wants to investigate the Adams family, especially probably for that petroleum and uranium that uh, 
Gomez, Gomez is talking about, yes. Uh, ham radio signals are not encrypted, so anyone could really pick up on it. And we see that in this episode where Gomez is trying to get a uh, message out to his business contact, Mr. Windrup, about plutonium and uranium, and ends up crossing into Mr. Hollister's uh, walkie-talkies. So I don't know if that particular instance could actually be done with a ham radio. I didn't ask my ham radio friends, but uh, uh, definitely ham radio signals are public. So if you're going to say something over ham radio, it best be coded. Mm. Uh, Morticia, though, has, has a particularly interesting bit of advice for a flight that's actually crashing, and for somehow they are extremely calm about the situation. So Flight 714 is about to crash into the ocean, and she says, When the plane hits the water, have each passenger attend to his own luggage. It'll avoid panic. (laughs) (laughs) And they just tell her to uh, sign off. (laughs) Do you know why the number 414 is relevant? Because somebody posted on IMDb saying it's shown prominently as the post office uh, badge number. But is 414 relevant to the Adams family in any way? 414 doesn't ring a bell. When was Charles Adams born? Say, was he born in like April 1914? Let's see. I have it on my notes from our first episode here. Because, I mean, that so, would put him just in, uh, that would put him just in, uh, that would put him like being to be too old to be in the, the, the be in World so, War II then. Uh, Charles Adams was born Friday, January 7th, 1912. Oh, okay. Then maybe that's not too old. I was going to say, he was in World War II in his 30s, then. Yes. Um, yeah, he, he was in the Army at that point. Yeah, okay. All right. Anyway, moving on. Um, so... <laughs> I, I do want to point out, though, when the mailman gets sent into the Adams family, uh, he flashes two fingers up, and at that time period, the two fingers up uh, with your palm facing you meant V for victory, you know, in England. Uh, and then when Mr. Hollister flashes the two fingers up back at him, he has his palm facing out, and that was the peace sign of the 60s. So there's, like, the old generation, new generation, and that same hand signal just, you know, palm flipped um, to mean, like, let's go and be successful. Morticia is always knitting. Yes. Why? Uh, they do a lot of activities. You know, we see them fencing and uh, knife throwing and playing in the playroom. And uh, Gomez does the Zen yoga. She knits. I, you know, she knits. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, there's no real reason for it. She knits in the comics. Uh, and so she has always knitted. Hmm. Yeah, I think in the comics, the first thing that she's shown knitting is actually a baby outfit with uh, three legs. Yeah, they uh, she does that in the movie, too. Yes. And that's why she does it in the movie. When they're done fencing, they ask uh, Lurch to uh, prepare the shish kebabs with the fencing. The fences, <laughs> the fencing swords. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. Conkey, the plumber, um, because... Uh, the mailman couldn't do the job. Uh, Mr. Conkey, the plumber, is sent in yeah, to fix Kitty Cat's water bowl. And that is the first time that they are suspicious of someone because Kitty Cat's water bowl is in the basement, and yet he is upstairs snooping around trying to find the code room. 
and he is found, you know, by Fester, is found, you know, Cleo, Cleopatra, like, strangles him to hold him there, and, like, and, and they check out his union card, but is he's a plumber, so, you know, they just end up uh, calling the feds to find out what's really going on here. And then Mr. Hollister admits that he was the one, you know, when the call, you know, the, the, the chain of command filters down to Ms., Mr. Hollister, uh, and he gets sent in, and, uh, you know, his his whole attitude is, of it is that they are ready to talk to him and confess. And Mr. Conkey is just trying to get out of the situation that Mr. Hollister put him in. And uh, it, it's like... Wrong things happen at every turn for Mr. Conkey, and at the, at the end of his stint there, he says that he's leaving the occupation of plumbing. I think this happens a lot amongst the Adams family. Just interacting with them causes people to leave their occupations. How easy is it to uh, obtain um, uh, plutonium and uh, uranium? I mean, Doc Brown's able to get it pretty easily in Back to the Future. Yeah, stealing but he had to do the, it with... Uh, stealing it from with, terrorists. Yeah, terrorists. <laughs> and what did, he uh, give the ter- what did he give the terrorists in ex- instead of the, the uh, plutonium and uranium that he needed for the uh, DeLorean? Oh, I forget. It's like a box of broken toys or something, right? It was something ridiculous. That's what I'm always reminded of. Whenever I hear of uh, plutonium or uranium, it's always... Um, it always goes back to Back to the Future for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, plutonium and uranium are extremely rare substances and dangerous. You know, they, they emit radioactive isotopes. That is a controlled substance, really, and uh, the transportation of such shipments is highly monitored, highly restricted. Certain shipments can't be in the same area or presence within, uh, I don't know what the limitation is on it, but within so many miles of each other. So if you have a shipment of uranium, just just saying this, you know, if you have a shipment of uranium, then within 100 miles or so, you can't have a shipment of something that will interact with it or will, you know, accompany it. It's like a safety precaution, like in, instead of having all these shipments going wherever they're going and then possibly having those shipments be curtailed or hijacked or stolen, uh, everything is extremely under control. So Gomez talking on that ham radio about the shipments and saying that, you know, one, he had to get a message out that, you know, one had to go one place, the other one had to go the other and not vice versa and not vice versa. Um, that was kind of important information that I believe the feds would be interested in. Morticia confuses the CIA with the CIO. <laughs> yeah, chief information officer, not the uh, Central Intelligence Agency. When I was in the fifth grade, oh, God, you could never do this today. I was like, what? I didn't know what this teacher was saying. But he had an allegory for what the CIA stood for. It is not PC. It rated right up there with what his allegory for the uh, – who the FBI stood for. He said it was female body inspector. <laughs> what? <laughs> this was like in the 90s, too. This is oh. something you would never get away with saying to students today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm kind of curious to see what uh, what he had for CIA, but then it 
I'm also not really wanting to hear such terrible, <laughs> terribleness. But if you want to share, please do. I don't remember what the CIA stood for that he said. But okay. I didn't remember the FBI he said stood for a female body inspector. Oh my, oh my God, God, that's horrible. <laughs> Again, this is the '90s, you know. I know, I know. Where you could get away with, uh, you could barely get. I mean, you you could get away with it, and then like just. You just don't understand how, and then today you'd be like, oh, well, that person's fired. Yeah, exactly. That'd be like a teacher coming into school wearing mustache rise, five cents, you know, t-shirt. What would that t-shirt represent me? Uh, mustache rise? Oh, 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 oh. oh. Yeah, yeah, like oh, okay. in yeah, the... Well, I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like uh, guys wiping their face like, oh, let me clear space off for you. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it's it's sleazy, it's terrible, and that's the same thing as if a teacher was wearing that to school. Terrible, and you'd probably be fired or suspended for it. By the way, there is a Corky's Plumbing in Florida. Oh, a Corky's Plumbing. Hmm, yep. Nice. Cor- uh, Shalimar, Florida. Cool. Yeah. All right. I I think that's pretty much all the notes I have for this episode. Pretty much me too. So then we'll take a little bit of a break, and then we'll come back with the Mother Lurch visits the Adams family here on the Dead TV podcast. The Extra Sisters podcast is a podcast posted one to two times per week by two best friends bonded together over their love of all things creepy. Every Monday, you will get a horror movie review and discussion, and the movies we review go all the way back to the 1920s up until brand new releases. And at least every other Friday, you will either get a scary short story or a bonus movie review on a brand new release. So please come join us again. That is the Extra Sisters. That is Exorcist with an E-R-S podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, Pocket Cast, and our YouTube channel. Thank you so much to the Dead TV podcast, and stay creepy. Hello, and welcome to Scream Scene. The horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order, then rank them from best to worst. Your dedicated hosts, Sarah and Ben, bring you a new episode each week, covering the history of film through a horror lens. From silent to sound and black and white to color, and the social and cultural context surrounding them. Scream Scene is your well-researched, in-depth, and respectful dive into the horror movies of old. Join us, Creatures of the Night, by subscribing to Scream Scene on iTunes. And visit our website, ScreamScenePodcast.tumblr.com. You'll be dying to subscribe. (laughs) That's pretty bad. It'll be a hell of a good time. Better? It'll lift your spirits. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And we're back with the Dead TV Podcast with Mother Lurch Visits the Addams Family. Mother Lurch Visits the Addams Family, originally aired January 15, 1965. Lurch's mother comes to visit the Addams Family. Paralyzed by shame, Lurch is unable to admit to Gomez his mistake. Lurch has told his mother that he owns the big house. Gomez gamely suggests a role reversal. Lurch will act as the man of the house, and Gomez and Morticia will act as his servants. Once Lurch's mother arrives, Gomez senses his mistake. The old woman treats Gomez and Morticia poorly, and the husband and wife strongly wish they'd never gone along with this act in the first place. The woman who plays Mother Lurch, uh, which is not what I expected Lurch's, Lurch's mother to look like, uh, Ellen Corby, uh, was born June 3rd, 1911, died in 1999. Uh, best known for being on The Waltons and in the movie Vertigo, but she's on The Waltons as Esther Walton from 1971 to 1980 for 143 episodes. 
Yes, I I do remember that character. And, and she uh, grandma, she it was Grandma Walton. She was in all the TV yep. movies too. Yeah, and and her being Lurch's mother, you know, this short, petite, little demure person with a bad attitude, uh, with this tall. A hulking beast of a man that Ted Cassidy was like this is like the perfect setup I think it is hilarious in the contrasts. But she was the manager of the hotel in uh, in, in Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Oh, uh, she was also on Night Gallery and, and uh, Night Rod Gallery, Sterling. Yes, Night Gallery, the uh, the um, Rod Sterling television series. Rod Sterling, yes. yes. Which we're in the revival of Rod Sterling right now with the uh, the Twilight Zone on the CBS app. Yeah, we've we've talked about that. Definitely see the Twilight Zone if you haven't. It's like every episode of that seems to have like a big name celebrity guest star for the episode, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, like Seth Rogen. They just had Adam. What's his name from uh, you know Parks and Rec and. Yeah, Camille Nanjiani. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, every Great episode name. seems to have like a big celebrity guest star on it. Very interesting. Uh, so in this episode, it's a classic role reversal episode. You know, the servant becomes a master, the master becomes the servant, and then, you know, Lurch starts believing that he actually owns the house. And it's mentioned a couple of times of brainwashing. So Gomez brainwashes Lurch to believe that he's the man of the house, you know, through, you know, practice and uh, reinstating the fact and then he does. He believes he's the man of the house. And so when his mother complains about Gomez and Morticia, uh, he fires them. <laughs> it, it's a pretty straightforward plot of this one. We also have no kids in this one in this episode. And I think the kids' presence would have confused the whole situation. Like, would the would the kids have been Lurch's kids or neighbor kids? Whose kids were they? Yeah, but. That issue is just sidestepped. They are not in this episode. No, they're they're said to like be in the room with um, Grandmama and Fester when they kind of shuttle them off. Yeah, but they're just not shown. And uh, then when Lurch's mother is just so horrible to them, and see, she says that they're sloppy and inefficient. Well, yeah, they're not really servants. Yeah, this is just kind of a lark that they're doing you know, in order to make Lurch happy. And uh, Thing is upset by it, Fester and Grandmama are upset by it, and when Gomez and Morticia are actually fired from Lurch uh, under the pressure of of his mom, and uh, uh, Fester and Grandmama cook up this plan to ring the doorbell and say that they really liked their their servants, and, you know, they're going to just take them up now that they have been laid off, and hoping that that will prompt them to believe that Gomez and Morticia are of value and hire them back on. Instead, the mother, who had just called an employment agency, believes that these two people are the new servants and hires them straight away. And Fester and Grandmama both basically state that they haven't had a, a proper regular income in a while and take the job. Yeah, they just take the job. <laughs> The uh, when she rings for the servants and Gomez answers, she says, "I don't trust you, Gomez. You got shifty eyes, and no good butler wears a mustache." Sorry, madam, I was born with it. Where did you get off to? Some dark corner with that hussy of a maid. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I like how she calls Morticia a hussy, considering the way she dresses for 1965 is not exactly very indicative of the modern housewife. Uh, so Morticia's costume is very much like an elderly woman would call a younger woman dressed that way with her, you know, bosom um, being shown in cleavage. Yes, and and here's the interesting thing is that Morticia just added basically a ruffled uh, maid uh, skirt over top of her regular dress and a little maid hat. It didn't change anything else out of her outfit. But when she was coaching Lurch on how to behave as a man of a house, she basically said that uh, pinching the maid, like this sexual harassment, is expected. Oh my god! I mean, yeah. if you ever see the movie Clue with the with the vet, the maid, and that. <laughs> yeah, but Yvette the maid and that was actually an escort. You know, Morticia is not, and maids really are not. Wait, Morticia, so, wait, 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 wait. Yvette the maid yes. in the Clue the movie was a maid. She was also in, depending on what version of the ending you watch, she was also a. Uh, uh oh wait she was an escort, escort. Wait, she worked yeah. with Miss Scarlet exactly she worked with Miss Scarlet Miss Scarlet was a madam right okay I forgot about that part I was like wait a minute she wasn't an escort oh wait she was a escort. yeah so escort Morticia meaning... is basically implying that sexual harassment comes with the job of being a maid yeah 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 kind of disheartening I think I bet the maid was the reason how I learned I was straight. <laughs> 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 Maybe the reason I think I'm bi. <laughs> I, I've heard that so many times no, from I, I my lesbian friends of mine who said that's the movie that I learned I was a lesbian, <laughs> or I wanted breasts that big. <laughs> Morticia's costume also reminds me of this new, uh, uh, just with the fluffiness, and just popped in my head. Have you seen the new CW show In the Dark? No, I haven't caught that yet. Okay, it's about a blind girl who finds out that uh, one of her closest friends is died, and she goes on a quest to prove that he is dead. You know, no one believes her. Uh, eventually gets the mom to finally file a police report, you know, for her son missing. But there's something else going on. There's something to do with drugs going on, because they they flash over to, her, to his cousin talking to a woman in prison about, like, yeah, I took care of that. But there's this girl, this blind girl. And in it, the show, that's like the subplot. It's mostly to deal with like this 20-something-year-old, chain-smoking, alcoholic, nymphomaniac who just like, you know, sleeps and fucks and drinks her way through her blindness. Like she's picking up like, mm. you know, she, 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 she caused her parents to lose like $10,000 in a donation to their, to their clinic because she slept with the guy who, um, or she almost slept with the guy who donated the $10,000 to the clinic and he's married. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And like every every episode she's fucking a different guy, you know what I mean? And they're like it's definitely on at like ten o'clock at night, I think, for the scenes of her like writhing in bed and stuff. But she's just like, Okay, mm-hmm. you can leave now. You know? Like she's either she was born blind or she was halfway blind, but the kid that she's mourning that she's trying to prove is, you know, something happened to him that he was murdered, um, she got mugged and got the crap kicked out of her and he saved her life. Wow. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like, who the fuck, you know, mugs a blind woman? But that's, you know, that's the show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is Chicago, too, or whatever. Um, and she's adopted, too. Her parents are not her real parents. She's got a white uh, white and black uh, ste- uh, stepmother and stepfather. 
Okay. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because she's, like, so unlikable but likable to a point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't wa- haven't read the uh, the online feedback about you know what people think of her portrayal of being blind. She does apparently do it very well, you know, but she's not actually legally blind, which some people have a problem with. And it's like hiring blind actresses and actors is not very easy. Yeah, true. Yeah. True. So I mean, people had that problem with Daredevil, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Daredevil's a superhero. That's not gonna work like the way you think it is. <laughs> no. No. Daredevil had uh, super senses to actually accommodate for his lack of sight. Right. I get it when you want to hire a mentally handicapped person or play a mentally handicapped person on TV, like in the American Horror Story, but you don't actually acknowledge that they're mentally handicapped or something like that. You know, whatever, however you want to do it. It's, it's either either or, but it's like sometimes you just can't have your cake and eat it too. True. I've heard True. there is a blind character on the show. There is actually a blind actress on the show. But for the main actress, they're not probably going to do that. They're going to they're going to hire somebody who is like hot and marketable for the CW. Agreed. Anyway, so, so I was going this over with this. And she actually gets a costume that looks like Morticia's, but it's green. And because her mother asked her to buy a dress because she never wears a dress, she always wears jeans. And she's like, could mm-hmm. you buy a dress or whatever? And she's like, fine. So she buys the ugliest dress she could possibly find. But she's like, I can't see what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> but her mother has to see it. It's hideous. <laughs> so I was going somewhere with that story. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'll, edit, I'll edit a lot of that out. <laughs> I will uh, admit, she's so, the hottest um, blind woman I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, in this episode, and it's not the first episode that he's done this, uh, Fester is shown eating uh, a paddle of cactus, you know, with spines on and all. Right. With now, the previous episode, he was at a light bulb in his mouth again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's his shtick. But uh, the eating of the cactus, someone posted on the IMDb trivia that uh, Fester's eating the San Pedro cactus, uh, which is an illegal cactus containing mescaline, that is incorrect. And I will... Outwardly, that that is incorrect. The San Pedro cactus is that it does not paddle out. What he's actually eating is a optunia, like a, the prickle pear cactus. It's a very delicious cactus. Um, he's eating with the spines. Most people do not with the spines. Um, but yeah, what he's eating. I just want to correct that fact from IMDb. Whoever wrote that, completely false. There, there. I've said it. Yeah. yeah. You showed them. <laughs> I showed them whoever in writer did that tip. Not a fa- not a, tr- a factual trivia tip. Uh, I like how um, I like that Lurch can't get over his uh, the way he is. Like he's just like he actually enjoys the uh, the mode the role he is accept- he is playing. <laughs> he doesn't want to go back to being a butler. Yeah, he. He, he's he's having difficulty transitioning back to being the servant that lives in the attic. I don't know what the life of there is living in the attic, feeding the vultures up there, but yeah, that's his lot in life, and he got the taste of being the master of the house, and he wants it. He wants to hold it, and he can't. <laughs> and that's basically the episode. Yeah, um, uh, there's a very, uh, what do you call it, I I wanted to point out that there's a very uh, Fred Flintstone kind of Flintstones gag or like uh, uh, zany gag when he locks the Adams out of their house when he closes the door on them. 
<laughs> that's like the dog in the Flintstones locking Fred out of the house. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a, and, the and they don't really show that. Sorry, not they the don't dog. show it's the arguments of them. Being... It's the saber tooth tiger, not the dog. The dog is Dino. Yeah, the um, uh, they don't show the argument of them getting back in the house. It's just they're back in the house, and he's back into his butler attire, playing the harpsichord, but still holding on to a little bit of that master of the house. Vibe <laughs> for a little bit because Grandma and Fester are are basically serving lunch. Anyway, that's that's the notes I have for this episode. Still really thrown off by um, Lurch Lurch's mom. Just not exactly the mom I was expecting. I didn't look ahead at all to see what mom would look like for this episode. And when she appears again, I'm thinking it's going to be this like large woman with very Lurch-like features, but it wasn't. No, it's, it's weird to have like this. A strong-willed woman, you know, that says that her son is is easy to be taken advantage of because he's so sweet and kind. <laughs> yeah, I think it's funny. I think it's funny to have the tiny woman give birth to this huge man. Even though babies are about the same size, no matter how they grow into that is pretty much it for this episode of the Dead TV Podcast. These two episodes of The Addams Family, episodes 16 and 17. Uh, don't forget, you can find us on our Facebook page at the Dead TV Podcast. You can also leave a rating for us on iTunes at the Dead TV Podcast or Stitcher or Google Play. Uh, please leave a rating we for us. We appreciate your ratings. Please leave a rating for us if you could. If you are going to be in Salem, Massachusetts, coming up on May the 4th, we will be in and around Salem, Massachusetts, leading up to the Hawthorne Hotel vampire ball happening um at 8 p.m so please uh if you happen to listen to our podcast and run into us you know make a mention of it to it that would be awesome i'm expecting but not expecting that would be kind of cool and very interesting but again if you're listening to this and you happen to be in salem you know that's really cool that uh you're going to be going to the vampire ball we will both be there and touring salem just a few hours ahead of the uh, ball itself as well Really excited for that. Yes, it's in two weeks, basically. Less than two weeks now as of this as of this recording. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Dead TV podcast. I appreciate it. Mr. Zeneca appreciates it. You can find us on our individual Twitters at ChrisDSAV and at ElegantlyKinky. Oh, and you can also email us at thatradiohar at gmail.com. Good night. Good night.